Hey guys, so today we are not going to talk, not even a little, we are going to listen. We're going to listen to me and my co-worker Varun have a bit of a discussion of how he thinks about software development and the path to become a software developer and then he shares a little bit about basically his journey from start to finish. Now he started out as a designer in South Africa and he has a very interesting story, I think. And actually we got to talking so much that it became a two-parter. So hopefully you enjoy both of these videos and Varun's story. Let's listen in. But basically what I wanted to do here is, it's not that complicated, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your career so far, like how you started programming and like jobs and stuff and mm -hmm. shit like that, that's pretty much it. So, uh, okay. and that, that's it really, mm -hmm. so like, how long have you been coding for? Working, I got my first job in, first full-time job was in 2011. I started working uh, full time, but I wasn't programming then. I was doing UX design. UX design. So you were a designer first. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, so I actually got my first job while I was uh, part time work. I was freelancing while I was uh, doing my honors at university, mm -hmm. and this one company, uh, consulting company, uh, they uh, Sky reached out to me from there, asked me if I could do their website for them. Sky. Uh, no, this guy. This guy. Uh, yeah. I was like, Sky, the network from the UK? No, no. <laughs> no, it's a South African... That would have been a huge contract, dude. Oh, it, Yeah, <laughs> if, they, if they found me from, like, uh, little old South Africa in Pretoria, that would be fucking crazy. Like, <laughs> we want you. Yes. Why? <laughs> I, I would have questioned it completely. Like, are you sure? Um, but, like, this guy, I, I'm actually trying to remember how I ended up getting his contact details. I did a... F I think it was through somebody. So I did a fix for them for one thing once. Mm hmm uh, and he was really happy with the way I worked. And then he, he asked me if I would do their, uh, redesign their website for them. Yeah. So I did that. And after I did that there, he told me, do you want a job? So I didn't interview nothing. He's just like, here, you want a job? Yeah, it's for you. <laughs> so my first job, my first two jobs, I actually never really interviewed for. Uh, so th that was the first one, which I kind of just like, cool. Uh, See, now you're fucking this up for me. Because now you're basically proving that these weird moonshot situations can actually occur. Well, no, it was only... Because normal people, you know, they go to school and they learn things. And then you have these people like you, like, who just... Oh, I just stumbled on a banana peel and here's the money. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't quite... Like, so I was studying... I was studying multimedia. So okay. I was doing programming and design. And so, like, I really... I cannot remember how I got introduced to it. Because it wasn't like I posted something on you know some freelance board or anything like that. Okay. It was through somebody. So it was definitely one of those cases of because I knew somebody who this guy knew, then he like, oh yeah, he can do he can fix that for you. Type thing. Yeah. And it was just because of the way I, I did that first bit of work that he was really, really happy. So he's like, look, I'm looking for people, would you come work for me? And and I, I got that uh, I got that first job. That was at uh, logical consulting. Uh, and then my first uh, Position with them was at a bank uh, called Absa Bank. So they needed. So it was a cons it was a consultancy. Yeah, it was a consultancy and, and, job. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Um, contracting job, basically. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, they just class it up with consulting. You you're a contractor. That's what the fuck you do. That's what I I like to do the same thing when you know if I tell you that oh I'm gonna do some research. What I'm actually doing is that I'm going to Google and I'm putting <laughs> shit into the search engine. Mm -hmm. But I use that word because it sounds better. Yeah, you can't just say I'm googling stuff. Yes. Although everybody knows. No, anybody, <laughs> anybody who's on call, like, I'm doing research, are oh, you fucking Googling? You would be surprised at how good my bullshitting skills are in like a meeting room with mm -hmm. people in uh, who make three times my salary. Like, it's so easy to just throw in a few technical terms that sound really nice and, you know. And of course, because they earn two times more, they don't want to seem dumb like, yeah, yeah, that yeah, of course. yeah that, that, that sounds oh, yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Sounds completely credible, mm -hmm. yeah, like research, of course, mm -hmm. yes. But, so, you, that's basically it. You kind of stumbled into this whole thing as you started as a designer and then you had some basic coding skills or so like you knew some code and then you got your consulting gig and then you started working for a bank. Yeah, so it wasn't like, so the multimedia degree, the way it was structured uh, at Tux when I did it, you do, you do everything the computer science guys do. So it's like a full computer science degree without the maths. Okay, uh, but then you but then you are a computer. Yeah, you, you're a programmer because yeah. I I did uh, in our final year 
you do the third, uh, the final year project for uh, computer science, and you have the multimedia one as well. Yeah. So you have to do both. Fuck the math. Like, how much math are you going to use when you're coding? That's the thing. It's like, like basic algebra at best. So at, at university, though, you have to do calc first and second year. Oh, great. And then third year, you had to choose. Like, if you're really into it, you could take max elect, uh, mathematics electives. I think the one which kicked some of my friends' ass was... Uh, uh, fuck, WTS. Ah, I can't remember what the name of the thing is. I know uh, Sham said to it as well. When she was doing... Because she has a computer science degree as well. Uh-huh. She Your had wife. To, yeah, my wife. Yeah. So she uh, she had to do the same thing. It's it's crazy maths. And, like, I hated maths. Because I, when I started at university, I started... I got accepted for... Uh, uh, fine arts degree and computer engineering. Okay. So it was it was quite varied, uh, and I never knew about multimedia before that. So when I got into computer engineering, I it was the first time I did programming was at university as well because we didn't have programming at my high school and that kind of stuff. So I never got, I liked working with computers and doing the hardware part of it. That's why I went to computer engineering. Yeah. Then I I got exposed to programming for the first time it was C as well, which was. You know, interesting thing to learn. But I liked the, the way you think with it, that, that kind of logical approach. So I was like, oh, okay, this really seems fun for me. I didn't enjoy the other aspects of computer engineering. Maths fucking hated it. Calculus is a piece of shit. Like, I fucking <laughs> hated it. And the other thing they do there is, when you do engineering degrees, the first two years is shared across the board. Like, all engineers do basically the same thing. Yeah, so you start out as one big lump of people. Yeah, and then, and then you specialize yeah. as you go further on. So I actually do... Uh, luckily, computer engineers didn't have to do chemistry, but I started to do physics, all that kind of stuff. I was doing mechanical engineering, like mechanics. I, I had to do mechanics in first year. I was like, I'm not working with these kind of forces. What is wrong with you people? Are you working with tons and fulcrums and stuff? Like, I'm not building anything that's going to do this. Why am I learning this shit? Um, so that was fucking weird. But then at my end of my first year, I, I was like, nah, this isn't for me. Yeah. And then I found out about the multimedia degree which was graphic design and programming. It was like, ah, oh, this is bang in the middle of what I want to, what I, like, what, I, what, I, what I enjoy doing when I got to university. It sounds like the course that is going to groom you into a front-end developer. Uh, so a lot of guys, uh, like from the guys I studied with, a lot of them go, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, uh, you, you do front-end dev as part of it. Yeah. Uh, you do Java, uh, you do uh, design patterns and stuff in C++. So you do like proper programming. Uh, so guys went into uh, UX design, uh, front-end programming, 3D modeling, uh, full back-end architecture. Like, it's quite varied. I, I, I will, uh, I will like, just declare, uh, I will elaborate on what I meant when I was saying that you're becoming a front-end developer. You're actually, like, I, I'm using that term in the way that I wanted to be, is you're actually learning how to program and you're mm. learning graphic design skills. You are not basically learning some basic javascript css and html and then that's your you being a front-end developer you're actually learning how to structure things architecture things of this nature the thing yeah. that actually makes you a good programmer so we did a lot of that and like we did <laughs> this was quite a while back uh we were doing flash so oh, i learned flash uh we actually had to like so uh, we built a game for uh, like the final year multimedia project is building a game so we used uh uh it was a 2D engine for Flash, for physics. I think it was Box 2D uh, was the name of it. So we used that, and then we actually built the game in ActionScript, which I I loved ActionScript at that point. In time. I like, really enjoyed it because it was it was such a nice way to get your UI and your code connected. Uh, it was like yes, uh, Visual Studio, like it was that kind of thing. Like when you're using uh, ASP.NET, like you know, click a button. This is what the button does, type thing. It was pretty cool for that. Um, so I mean the packaging of Flash. I don't think anybody's gonna say that. Fla- okay, uh, it's honestly to me. I, I hope that we will go a similar route to with Flash. Well, not exactly the same way, <laughs> but the with WebAssembly and similar sort of mm. things. Because it's. I mean, it is very nice for you to actually have a first-class citizen type of experience when you're developing something that is like this is a proper UI. This is the same thing you would do if you went to native or mobile or something mm. like that. It's not you trying to figure out how to fit like HTML and like kind of make it feel native-ish. It's yeah. a first-class citizen, and you have this little box that you load onto the page, and hey, there is your well. Better, your more native feeling experience rather than something that is web uh, web oriented. Plus, I think like considering the what 
HTML was for document presentation. We use it for applications now because of the power of JavaScript that provided. Yes. If you compare it to what Flash applications was, they were applications. Yes. They were built from the ground up to be an interactive application, not like sticking some functionality onto a markup language which was used to represent documentation. Like it, it, it's evolved into that with Web 2.0 and well, I guess it's Web 3.0 now with the WebGL and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, it's still evolving. It like, is. I, I, I'm gonna be the first person to say to you that the web is winning the like the the client dominance uh, thing. Like mobile has no chance, not a chance in hell to well, uh, to deal with this. Because what I'm saying is that the browser is basically now becoming. Or it's trying. It's it's. I don't. I'm not gonna say it's trying to become, but it's very quickly becoming a universal platform for mm. all forms of application. It's like an old coworker said to me that he back in the day he was in the early days. He and his coworkers were completely in line on that. The browser is very quickly becoming the operating system. Like it's basically just becoming this universal platform that all you consume all digital content through. I mean, that's true. The fact that we have Chrome as, as an operating system, I mean, that's... Exactly. Like, yeah, your browser does exactly. everything that you want. Okay, cool. And this was this was, this was him, like, in the 80s. So, I mean... <laughs> Whoa, <okay. laughs> I mean, so they were way ahead of the mm. curve here. So, and, and I agree. Like, it's it's just a matter of time before you will be playing some high-quality games and things of this nature in the browser, as because there's no other point to it. Yeah, I mean, if you can load it, as internet speeds gets faster, like, you know, the, the ability to not have to have everything on your machine, but just like, like uh, what Stadia, uh, Google Stadia is trying to do with streaming games, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. It's not there yet. The technology isn't there yes. yet because no, no, you still no, no, have no. input lag and that kind of stuff. But which I, I definitely, but I would also say that, you know, you have the performance aspect of like rendering out more heavy computation hmm. uh, oriented work, such as graphics and stuff of that nature. WebAssembly is an attempt to do something like that. But if you look at this in combination with something like uh, service workers and offline first type of mindsets and progressive web applications, I don't really see why, I mean, we're talking about that the browser would be a very thin layer on top of basically machine code mm. and that's the kind of the idea so what I'm stating is that it's not that far away from us being able to just run all of the things through the browser I mean if you look at I think is it Figma like the design tool like they uh, are actually yeah they're using uh, I think it's an electron based app so it's a web app and then they just wrap it in a launcher for desktop okay I, I, I don't know if it's electron um, I'm correct on that but it's basically the web app runs in on your desktop. Yeah, but the Slack does the same thing. Slack is also, yeah. in, in, but what I'm talking about that, that that is a graphics design tool. It is something that is designed to actually allow you to do design work. It mm. could be a native. You can have it as a native application, but you can also run it on the web. Because and it combines the two, which I think is absolutely beautiful. So you create all the panels and like the different buttons and selectors and like the frame of your canvas within the web platform because that's very it's very easy to make all of these things in the mm. web and then for the actual rendering out of graphics and drawing boxes and doing all of this interaction that's a perfect fit for WebAssembly or if you're going to be that person you can do it with the canvas element and WebGL <laughs> but hey, I'm not sure we're going to go down that route yeah I I don't know WebGL well enough to uh, like I've, I've seen it I've played around with it like a little bit but to build an application in WebGL there's maths involved in that because yeah. you have to do, you, you're working with vectors when it comes to designing your interface and that kind of stuff. And I don't really want to deal with that. Like for me, you know, like working with HTML is a lot easier and then just select pieces with the canvas mm -hmm. and you can use the maths around that there. But uh, HTML is very easy for like just building up your, your view because I mean, that's what it's for. It's like, it's marking up a duct. So yeah, it's a lot easier to do that. But uh, basically what you're saying to me is that you you did a proper computer science course. And yeah. so uh, you, I, you, did, you misled me, my friend, because I was like, oh shit, this guy basically didn't have any education and he just got a, like, a computer, no, computer no, sorry, job. That, that was not my intention. Because no, that's what I thought. Like, I'm, shit, this, I, I retract my <laughs> apology for stating, like, I still have not to this day met, I've heard stories of people who have been able to just magically get a coding job job without any prior experience and then just have the employer pay for everything basically mm. which I've never seen that I've never ever you know 
Not... I've, I've met self-taught people. Like I, I usually say that you can you can pretty much bet on that if you want to be a programmer, if you want to actually survive in this industry, you're looking at a personal education investment of one to five years, mm. roughly. That is the time it takes. Less time than that is almost impossible to get the job. Well, like I mean, if I think about what I learned in university, like you know, data structures and that kind of stuff, that's applied. But if you look at like when I was in Java, it was 1.4, and you know, like 1.4. Like, yeah. Whoa. I'm old, man. You I'm fucking old. old, dude. Whoa, my god. Yeah, because it was uh, 2006, I think. Holy shit, dude. Two. Yeah, that was 1.4. I think it was 1.4. Yeah. Yeah. 1.4. I would have understood 1.5, but 1.4 is that is a long time. I'm gonna correct him, but I, I think it. it yeah, was no, no, no. It's if it was. It was fucking long ago. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm just like, for some reason that seems to be in my head. Like when I started working, uh, then we're using uh, 1.6. Uh, yeah, that, that was what. 1.5, 1.6, 1.7. Okay, that's usually the range. Yeah. Um, but like, so that was the other part that was kind of. So uh, it started EPSA. We do the UX work, and they had a backlog that we had to get through. Um, the bank. The bank, yeah. Uh, so Absa Bank doing UX design and that kind of stuff. Then we finished through the UX backlog, and banks are kind of slow to adapt, so it's not. I uh, have noticed. It, yeah, it's. It, I spent maybe two months literally coming to work and doing fuck all. Like I would get to work and had no work to do, and I just had to go to work because they wanted yeah, you. Yeah, you office. need to be there. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm very sorry to say that I was not that bad, but <laughs> I was in a very similar sort of situation where I just. I fucking did pair programming with my coworker because I was bored. Like I didn't know what to do. Like I was the in that job I was the front end guy. Mm. So I could basically dish out the part that I was supposed to do and there was not really all that. Like I don't know. They seemed to really like to keep me in a the corner there cuz I, I I really wanted to learn the other stuff but there wasn't really much Exactly. Yeah. Stay, stay, your, stay in your fucking corner. Yeah. You there. You. Front end only. Yeah. yeah. Front end only. Mm. Do only front end. I'm like okay. Uh but it took me like a half a day to make this tooltip box here, and they have two weeks to lose everything else. At least you, you, you were in the case of you know you did something quickly. Like it wasn't a lot, but you had something. When I say I had nothing, look, I would come in and watch videos because I couldn't work on anything else. The backlog was done. They didn't have any work for us. Wow. I was really, I was questioning the bank, like the manager. Why am I here? You spending money on me to come in every day? I'm doing fuck all. Look, why, why am I here? It makes no sense. So that went on for about a month and a half, two months, I think. And then we're like, okay, cool. We need help on the dev backlog. Uh, can any of you guys program? So uh, there were three of us uh, and then the head of UX. There three guys working there. So. But this, you were doing full-time design work now. Yeah, I was only doing design work. Only design. Can anybody go? This is beautiful. No, that's like you are can, fucking desperate if you're going to the design department looking for coding skills. Yeah, we just because we had no work. Yeah, like, no, can I you guys code? That. Like you know, because we're trying to find something else to do. Okay, I'm like, okay. Then I was like, yeah, I can do Java Dev. I can, I can code. Then I went from front end design to full end, full on back end services development. I was like, no UI, nothing, just services, back end services, uh, in Java. So we were, so I started doing that, and it was kind of weird because, so when I started work. A friend that I studied with, uh, he was also looking for work at the time. So I, I kind of told the guys, yeah, I'll, I vouch for him. And like, yeah, no, he's good. He knows what he's doing. So I brought him. Uh, we, we started working at the consultant company together. And then we went to Absa Bank together. So he, he continued working as a UX designer because he didn't enjoy the coding aspect of it. But he uh, did know how to code. He, he could code. He could do job. Um, and then, um, so we both started doing the code stuff. I enjoyed it a bit more, so I stuck with it. Him, the first chance to like, okay, we got more design. We're like, fuck it, I'm out of here. Like, he's just like, nope, I'm not, I'm not doing services anymore. That's enough for me. So I stuck through with that. And then while I was doing that, it was, um, so where I was seated was near the front end team. And one of the guys from our consultancy company, he was brought in because he was an expert on the framework that we're using. Which was, I'm assuming, Spring? No, 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 no. No. So their front end, it was really interesting technology, right? So it's called. No, uh, this was not. This was front end, not Java. Yeah, this was front end. Front end. I okay. know, uh, and we weren't using Spring. We were using EJB three. EJB three. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we, we had EJB three backend uh, with services exposed, but not RESTful, not JSON RESTful services, and it wasn't SOAP services. It was RESTful XML services. Oh. 
because the the technology they were using uh, it's called uh, Backbase was the framework. Okay. And Backbase at that point in time, I think now it's it's JSON uh, rest of service. But at that point in time, Backbase was actually being the way they would generate pages was you would get a payload from the server side. It's not, I guess rest isn't the right word for it. And you would use XSLT to generate your HTML from that XML payload. It was very weird. Like the fact that they were doing, like it was this odd fucking thing that, that they were running. And I could not for the life of me understand, like there's so many other standards that you could use. Like, and they paid a lot for this framework. So they brought in this guy who was an expert in Backbase. Uh, he helped write the framework actually, if I remember correctly. Oh, what a, what a nice coincidence. Yeah. Um, so he, uh, he was brought in to help the front end devs and stuff. And we, I, I worked, uh, we were from the same consultancy company. So we then, should do this, dude. We should make a really shitty framework and then sell it into some organization that will never go back on their decision. Yeah, and I, I, I guess the guys from Backbase were genius from. They actually, they're a Dutch company. Uh, the guys who made Backbase. Yeah. I don't know what the company name was. Uh, probably, but probably not say that loud. We don't want to cost them any business. No, no, no. Not any business. They still, they still are in business. So, so Backbase is a framework designed specifically for. Bank apps, uh, if I remember correctly, that that's what they sold them on. It was, it was designed for banking. Um, so, yeah, they were using Backbase, and then I was uh, chatting to him and speaking to the front end team. So I was kind of like you know uh, understanding how the system worked a bit more, and then I started helping out with uh, just like random stuff, like not coding, but like you know I'd hear a discussion like, oh no, we need to achieve this kind of thing. Like, how do we make it look like this? Uh, and then like oh, I'll just chime in like some stuff which I know about CSS and how to do these things here from what I learned at university. So then uh, that got me more interested in like doing front-end design, uh, front-end dev again. So then I worked there for about a year and a half. I had an issue with the company. At the bank. At the bank. Mm. Uh, so I had an issue with the company that I was working for, the consultancy company, because they were doing some shady shit, which I found out about. Like the one dude was, uh, he was from India, and the company told them, he told the bank, that, oh, he has to go back to India to sort out his visa. Um, so they didn't cancel the contract for him. They kept it, like, I think they put it on hold, or I, I don't know what the agreement was. But they said it'll take three months to sort out his visa. That three month period, he was still in South Africa. He was working for another client. So I found out, I'm like, that's not good business ethics. What the fuck is wrong with you people? So they were ripping off one of the customers. Yes. Uh, I, I think that the contract was, he, they weren't paying full price for him, but they were paying a price to keep him, to keep the contract active. So they weren't ripping him off completely on his cost, but they were still ripping him off. So I found out about this year, and then there was some other shit which are like, yeah, screw it, I'm out, guys. So then I went to a company called, uh, another <laughs> contracting house, uh, called Enselect. And this was a funny interview because uh, so I, f I found them on LinkedIn, I think it was. I think like they, they sent me a message like, hey, you know, we saw your profile, we'll be interested in if you come in for an interview, whatever. So I went there and this was around, uh, I think April, it was the end of April. Um, so I, I went there for the first interview and the interview was literally the guy asked me like, so what do you want to do in life? And it was just this long chat that I was like, uh, I was telling him like, oh no, like I, I like trying to do like, you know, a bit of everything. Uh, like, you know, that jack of all trades, master of none. Like, I, I don't really believe that. I think you can master everything to it. Of course degree. you can. It's all about investment and like in, in personal interest. Yeah. So uh, for me, like, I don't want to like only do backend or only do frontend no. or only do like, like. Leonardo da Vinci managed just fine. So yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it's, I think you're the best kind of developer if you can do that. Like, if you have a solid understanding of, of all those aspects, you can immediately spot when, like, eh, you know, this doesn't feel quite right. You know, we should probably look at this here. Your brain starts working in a different way. You can see patterns. You where you you can already know how everything's going to turn out yes. because you know what all the parts are going to fit, how they're all going to fit together. And I think uh, for me, because. Thing I'd like to become like an architect or something later yep. on. Which is uh, this? This is like I have a, a a friend of mine who is an architect. He came out uh, out of university as an architect. I haven't never told exactly. I gave how him, the fuck did you do that? Yeah, I asked him the same thing. How the fuck did you become an architect when you literally just came out of school? Because in my very you know, humble humble mind. 
a programmer who knows nothing about coding, has never written a single line of code professionally, might not be the first person you're going to ask how you're going to set up your infrastructure or how you're going to make sure that all the teams are going to maintain their productivity as the company scales. That's usually the sort of thing that you give to such a person as you're describing, an individual who actually understands not only the industry but also how the different departments are going to work and how what their dependencies are going to look like and their challenges. Plus, I mean, there's only... Books only give you so much of information. You, you there is that kind no, of stuff. I argue to this day, there is no fucking way that you can study to become an architect. No. You, there, there, there's, no there's not a single book there who will teach you how to do this well. Yeah. You yeah. have to learn it through experience. Because there's so much of stuff that's like, oh, in theory, this is how it happens. In practice, it never happens yeah. like that. You, you, I can give you like quarks, I can give you Microsoft, I can call these things different things, and I can show you a very nice flow chart that, oh, this is how everything's going to fit together. But the problem is that that's just a very general like guideline mindset type of thing to sort of how this is going to work. And then you can understand the benefits and the consequences. But for you to, if you copy paste such a solution, you're going to fuck up your entire company because mm. the, the, your company has a certain way of working. You need to understand the company and then figure out, oh, which architecture is going to fit this company? Because if you're just going to say, well, we're going to do microservices, you don't know that that's going to fucking work. Mm. I'd have to be worried if your company could just take a solution and like, plug it in and work. Yeah. Like, either you're not doing anything innovative, <laughs> you're just like some <laughs> generic fucking thing which like, yeah, any solution would work here. I would reevaluate what are you doing? What value are you actually bringing in that scenario? Yep, for sure. And it's uh, it, it, it's um, I would you, I, for me there's three things within IT that uh, I argue that can't be like you cannot study to become it. You have to be get mentored. You have to actually learn it on the job. This is one thing. Architecture, it's impossible to like just learn it through books. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is security. You are not going to become a hacker by learning, just reading books. You actually need someone to help you to like actually test out your skills and do mm. these sorts of things. It's a practical field. And lastly, it's, it's going to be um, operations and infrastructure, things of this. this mm. the, you can sit on your laptop and like spin up a box, a virtual machine, but setting up scale, auto scaling, setting up different considerations, access rights, all of the things that are, I mean, this is basically what our engineering success team are doing. Like without the company that has all these needs and issues, you don't even know what you're going to like. There's no way for you to figure out, oh, I should probably learn about these things or those things on your own. It's mm. you have to actually do it. I mean, it's easy to just like, oh, um, like AWS Lambda, for example. This is the biggest one, uh, the biggest size uh, uh, VM you can get. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll just spin that up. Cool. You're wasting resources. Yeah. You, you have no way of how to optimize that without yeah. the practical. Experience. First question is okay, uh, how do we reduce our costs with this? Or like, how do we, like, these sorts of things? Like, how can we optimize it so we don't pay as much? Uh, how are we going to do with logging, monitoring, uptimes, alerts? Like, all these things. There are so many different things that you, you would simply not think about if you're a beginner trying to learn this. You can learn the basics. I mean, mm. shit, anybody can learn how to spin up a virtual machine using a button on an interface <laughs> that's not that hard but like to do all the other stuff that's very tricky but so so i feel uh, that you and i have a very similar sort of thinking here like mm -hmm. you and i like i have the same thing like i really do enjoy learning all the things because i've never been able to pick i can't like i can't decide i'm very indecisive like i just want to do everything and that's been serving me well so far mm -hmm. but for you the, you so you kind of didn't feel all that happy at with your with that consultancy. So you moved over to the next one, and this interview, like basically all you're saying is that they asked you, "What do you want to do in life?" I had no technical interview. It was just a personality thing. No technical interview. Oh my else. god. Um. Uh, so yeah. I. That sounds pretty sweet. I think there's quite a lot of developers who would have loved to just have the personal interview. Yeah, like, I, I don't know why, because... Because <laughs> it's like standard practice to have... It is, and all of my... All of the, so I got the job, and then I ended up going to... Uh, I got placed at a company called Discovery. So they, this huge insurance company in South Africa. Um, I, I had a technical interview when I went to the client. So I had an interview with the team lead from Intellect there. and Okay, uh, so the consultancy didn't check you, but the client the did. Client, the client had a requirement back. But I already probably got a good idea. Yeah. So the client had had, uh, <laughs> but that was also I think it was half an hour, and 
I got maybe three technical questions, and they weren't even that difficult. No, but like... uh, better that than the fucking weird bullshit they're trying to pull in all the other fancy IT companies where, oh shit, you have a week to complete this technical task, or here, come to us, our company and code with us for half a day. What the fuck, dude? I have another job. Like, I'm doing shit. Like, you have 30... I, I'll give you an hour at lunch to figure this shit out. Yeah. Or you can go and hire somebody else. The the one thing which I heard about that practice, which uh, some companies are really bad with, is they actually give people, like, like, oh, we need somebody to build this thing here for us. All right, we'll make it an interview question. We'll get some people to fucking, like, open source it. So they try and get, like, free work from interviewees. Which is... I've seen on Reddit, like, some people post about this thing. I'm like, it's not a standard question. It's kind of very specific to their business. Like, yeah, I think they're fucking trying to use it for free labor, dude. Don't <laughs> fucking do it. And avoid them at all costs. So, yeah, that that was some scary stuff. But uh, at Intellect, it wasn't... Um, that, for me, was the best decision I made in my career. Joining Intellect. Um, so, I was there for five and a half years uh, with, with the consultancy company. Uh, with them and I think about three years of that was at uh, Discovery at that first client I went to uh, so I, I did the interview with uh, uh, the team lead Doug and Ravin the architect uh, for that uh, division mm-hmm. uh, and the team lead was from Intellect so he was he, he was bringing in people for that team so um, <laughs> my first day at the consultancy place I get to the consultancy my second day I'm at the client like I, 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 that was it. That was my exposure to to being in in house at uh, Intellect. I, I was pretty much like a Discovery employee uh, because I spent all my days there. I worked with that team more, even like our year in parties. Which and is stuff. usually how it works. That's why consultancies, as I always argue, they, they, it's a very that's a very cutthroat business. I mean, you're basically just you're making money off of having developers and having them out on the job. Like it's not something that you necessarily is going to breed. Usually that's true, but I would argue in Intellect's case, they put a lot of effort into training up and bringing up your skills. That's why I said, like, for me, that was the best move in my career, was mm-hmm. going to that company, because I learned so much from them. From the consultancy? From the consultancy. They must have been, I guess, you know that the norm... Like, the norm is you get placed at a client, and then that's what you They basically like. just try to sign you, and then they yeah. send you out on your own. If you fuck up, they're going to get you uh, kick get you out and, and get somebody else. Yeah. That's no, this place... They put they a lot of effort on to... Uh, That's really nice. Uh, we actually, I, I would say they had one of the best uh, graduate programs uh, that I've seen. So, so they took on juniors as well? Yeah, they had... Uh, this was a bit further because the company was growing at a really fast rate. Um, so when I joined, I think we were about uh, 60 people. At the time I left, five and a half years later, there were over 600. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, and they actually they acquire they bought a company now in Netherlands, uh, so they're expanding uh, international. And but that, I, I want to believe that that has to do with their, that that practice and that policy. No, when it comes to that kind of thing, they they very good. So the graduate program was was really cool for. So I, I didn't go through it, but uh, I trained some people uh, in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would start off. Your first six months is boot camp. So for six months, you're not being placed at a client, not doing anything. You are learning industry level practices because you yes. come from university, which doesn't quite match. So you're learning from people who work in the industry how the industry runs. So you're getting like, oh, this is how you work with SQL properly. And we had, uh, for that, one of the top SQL uh, developers in the country. I would say she, she's world-class level, Gail. Like, insanely fucking smart. Really blunt though, so she scared the shit out of the fucking grads. Because if they made a mistake, she would like, no, that's fucking stupid. Like, she, <laughs> she would just call them out straight like that. She was amazing. Scared the shit out of them. But, like, if they had a sequel question, genuinely, 90% of the grads were scared to ask her. <laughs> Which is probably not good in your teacher, but they still went to ask her. Because all of the guys at the company told, her, told them, like, look, if you have a question, ask her. She's, if you're being stupid, she's going to call you out on it. But that's just the price you have to pay. If you want to learn this, you have to you have to go to her. She's the best person like you would find to to, to learn from. So uh, they learned SQL in that. They learned uh, Spring. Uh, they learned uh, ASP.NET um, and uh, design patterns and stuff, which industry and how Agile works properly. So uh, for anybody who's listening, that should probably be the short list of everything I've been saying since day one on this little channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's see how so Java. Relational database, yeah. C sharp, which is uh, .NET, of course, or yeah. ASP in this case, and 
agile work practices. Yes. That uh, sounds pretty much uh, like the standard setup for pretty much every single consultancy that I should know of. Yes. I mean, that's, that's, that's the general uses for yeah. most companies, so that's what they cover. Exactly, because these are the, the these this is usually the stack that most large co yeah. corporations use. Like, so you're on a job, learn that. Yeah, You'll exactly. Get a job you, want, easily. you want a job, <laughs> learn these things. So they do that for six months, and then the next six months, they place at the client yeah. for free. The client does not pay you for a grad to come in. After that six months period, the client chooses whether they want to keep the grad there, and then they like, start working. So it's a trial. It's trial. like a trial thing. Yeah. Uh, I would say 95% of the grads stay at the client because uh, the clients are generally really happy with what uh, what they're able to deliver and stuff. Um, and all of the grads that I met, uh, there were like one or two each year that would leave for another company or try something else out, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is within a, a certain norm. It's you kind of expect that, but yeah. you see, this is the thing that I have as an issue with with companies on this topic. Like what your this consultancy, they fucking get it. Like. If you want, you can you can try to lure in the seniors. You can try to do all this stuff, but you're a fucking consultancy. Your overhead cost is like nothing. You want people. Yeah. If you train them, some of them are gonna fuck off because that's and that's why a lot of companies are afraid of that. That's why you don't want to train the juniors because it's costly to train a junior. It's costly to train the juniors, and they might fuck off. That's a bad investment, right? Wrong because. If you train them and you actually treat them well and so forth, and they enjoy working there, they'll they stay. They will stay. Yeah. They will stay. And Endlich has, I'd say, over the years, quite a high retention rate. Because I mean, uh, I was there for five if you go from years. sixty to six hundred people in that amount of time, yes. I would say you're doing something yeah. right. Because I was there for five and a half years, and I only left because I'd gotten to a point in my career where, like, being in a consultancy wasn't going to work for me. Because, like, when you contract it out, you're not going to get into like being an architect or those kind of no. stuff. No, and you're also, I would say, treated uh, as a temp. Like, e even if you're actually there, you might not get the same level of investment or personal development. Uh, with Discovery, they were heavily invested with intellect. So, <laughs> the team that okay, I was with... Okay, but that because of the relationship... Because of the relationship okay, between... So they had an in okay, that's a different story. Because, like, the team I was with, it was all intellect devils. <laughs> like, like well, all that doesn't the count. That doesn't count because, like, you know, there quite a lot of like, quite a lot of uh, consultants. They like you're like an island inside of yeah. I, no, with, not... with the discovery relationship, Antlek kind of came in and like, oh, we're taking over this motherfucker. Because <laughs> at one point, uh, so I was in the Vitality International team. So it's a product that they sold internationally. Yeah. And then there was a Vitality RSA team, which is. But what was, what, what was Discovery doing? Discovery is an insurance company. Insurance. Okay. So it's just it's, insurance. It's health insurance okay. and life, uh, that kind of stuff. All right. But Vitality was a wellness program that they developed. Okay. Um, so Vitality was, the business aspect of it was you get people encouraged to live healthier. They claim less from health insurance. You know that's 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 where they yep. did, why they did it, but it was actually a pretty good uh, wellness program. Like you got benefits on, so the idea was you would get points if you go to the gym, if you uh, had a no smoking declaration, you did your month your yearly checkups, that kind of stuff. So they encourage you to live a healthy lifestyle, and the reward for this for the uh, end consumer was you get points which you can use as discounts at certain partners. Um, so Vitality started selling that product. Uh, internationally so we started off in when I was when I joined they were with Prudential Health in UK it so, almost sounds like a humanitarian piece this kind of like I, I do believe in what they would like obviously it's they're not just doing it for the good world yeah There's I was a about to say to like, it, right? if it wasn't like an insurance company behind yeah. the whole thing it's kind of like you know if 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 the cigarette industry starts doing, like running in a health organization I have like, I got it sounds great. But there's something... Uh, uh, there's something's going on here. Yeah, so uh, the, the, the truth is like nobody... I don't think anybody thought it was off the goodwill of the heart. Like you knew why they were doing it, right? But the fact that it worked and helped people, was it was still a good yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, you can't... Okay, you, I had this discussion with Hongshell the other day. Like I was saying that, you know, some people believe that good should only come from the goodness of somebody's heart. Mm -hmm. But that's not, it's, that's not, not just not true. Some, you can do good for selfish reasons. Mm. It's actually, that's kind of the whole basis of uh, capitalism. So it's like... <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong if you make a profit of doing a good deed, 
You still doing a good deed. I'd like to think that sorry, the humanitarian in me will just say that yeah, as long as you're very, you can't fucking go greedy with it. I, no. If you find the cure for cancer and you're gonna charge people ten thousand dollars a pill, yeah. and you need seventy of them before you survive. Ah, there's a sweet spot. No, yeah, they definitely. But like in this case, it didn't really cost to use anything, because I think membership was free. It was just like a sign of it. Because the actual benefit was they claim less. That was what they were aiming for. So yeah, so I worked with the. Uh, on Vitality, so my team, the, the international team was all devs. When I started, the Vitality RSA team was maybe 50-50. By the time I left, the the manager for RSA was an Intellect employee. <laughs> so it was kind of like, yeah, they just came and took over that entire fucking thing. They were really good with that because of, I, and I think it, it comes back to the amount of training and stuff that they put into the, uh, into the employees. Yes. Because uh, apart from the bootcamp thing, so I got a lot from there because uh, we used to have... Uh, beer and tech Thursdays. So you get into a room and somebody would do a presentation. One of the employees would do a presentation about something they're interested in and you just have a couple of beers and you talk about it. Once a week. Once a week. Yeah, uh, that sounds about like what it should be. Yeah. Was the consultancy here, they thought that they were really pushing it. Uh, they were a traditional, uh, traditional consultancy where I'm not going to mention any names or anything like that. but. They had one guy come down every other month to do a shortest presentation on something that he had done. Like, yeah, yeah, the, this one dude who's apparently a little bit of an architect. And I kind of went, oh, what did you have last time? Oh, he came down and showed us React. Right. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, uh, this is not, not, not for me. So no, this one here was really cool because it encouraged people to look more into something that they had a bit of interest. Yeah. And they gave you company time to work and stuff like this as well, which is also really cool. Um, you got uh, two hours a two hours a week, two uh, no an hour a week. It was like two hours every second. You got two hours every second week, so it worked out an hour a week. Mm -hmm. um, so that was uh, one way they encouraged stuff. Uh, they encouraged you to present at conferences and stuff. They would they would buy you tickets for conferences. So I went to. A lot of South African dev conferences because they, they encouraged us to go out and learn what people are talking about. I mean, I went to... Uh, this is how you breed high quality developers. No, and the, the, for a consultancy, this actually converts yes. to money because that means that if you have good developers and they're social, they're the outgoing people and they are actually in tune with what the rest of the industry is, that's going to shine through on-prem when you're actually working. Yep. So, I mean, that's that speaks why Discovery was comfortable, like, you know, oh, yeah, they're taking over the team, fine. They, they, the quality they deliver is amazing. Because exactly, exactly like that, because you can feel the difference. You can feel the difference between somebody who literally only does this shit, like, not even that well for the paycheck. They don't yeah. give a shit about anything. They have no passion, no fire, no nothing. And someone who actually genuinely cares. Mm -hmm. And usually those are the sorts of people you want around because they will actually they will actually produce better quality. Yeah. So they definitely push that. Um, and I think uh, I learned a lot from the company and uh, a shitload more even from uh, my team leader when I was at Vitality, uh, uh, Doug. So he, I, like, when it comes to agile processes and that kind of stuff, I just absorbed as much as I could from these people uh, because I really liked the way that team that I worked at was hands down the most effective agile team I've ever worked on. And it got to a point where we were, we were delivering ahead of schedule almost continuously. We, we could take off one day in the sprint to work on innovation projects. Every sprint we could do that. Every, every second Friday in the sprint, the entire day was dedicated to something that we wanted to try within the product. So you know like how we have the mini hackathons here? Imagine a day like that every second sprint. I would mm. say that that's, um, if someone is a really shitty Sorry. planner. Not every second sprint, every uh, every uh, second Friday of a sprint. Yeah, but if, uh, okay, every second Friday, all right, I can get that. Because I was just gonna say that uh, some people believe that, all right, we're always ahead of schedule or things of that nature being like, I would say that that's, uh, for me, that's a misalignment of resources. Like some, I, so it, it's it, not just you being efficient there. It's someone isn't putting you at the, uh, like through your paces. So I think that comes on to, uh, because we are working with partners with international, uh, outside the uh, 
uh, the country. There was yeah. a lot of uh, mitigation factors. So, okay. I mean, we're not saying we were constantly delivering ahead of schedule. Like they would plan a backlog for a while. We and the other part was we had a very we had a proper scrum master. Like this guy was a scrum master. That was his only role. So he knew like okay, this is your current velocity, whatever. He gave this information back to the uh, to the VAs and that kind of stuff, and even the the, the, the dev manager for for our team. So Doug was our team manager, and then we had dev manager on top of that. Uh, and between that, they were like, okay, we want to try this initiative. Uh, we able to still deliver well in advance, so we can do this now. Uh, we can we can afford to take that time to, to do some stuff. And we actually came up with some pretty cool things. Uh, the one dude managed to change our configuration away um, so that we became even faster after it was implemented. It took us from a week to implement a new partner coming on to a day. And this was just because he got this time to work on it uh, during work hours. So that kind of stuff, like it, it, it really feeds back into the team, like, you know, being able to drive that kind of innovation. And that was another thing which I learned from there was like, you know, taking that time to, to do something right. Like after you know your to do it right really benefits you in the long run. Like it's really worth doing that effort because I I can could not agree more. It the that's the the that's the backbone in all the things that I believe in when it comes to architecture and comes to all of these things because that's the difference between having a really shitty and slow slow moving process and having a really great one. So there are what I call backbone features, mm -hmm. and a backbone feature is something that ties into your overall delivery capacity. It's not something like a small feature you do here or something that's going to just be shown on the page. It's something that will affect future work pretty much forever. These things have to take time because you have to do them right. Because if you don't, it's going to slow down the whole company. Mm. And I think the problem with those types of things is a lot of time like, it feels like, oh, we're just doing it for this one place. Let's just do it quickly and get it done. They don't think in terms of a framework. They don't think about a bigger picture. And I would, I would say startups are very guilty of this. Yes, but that is, I would argue, m more because of that sensation of oh, everything's on fire, like we need to survive the next week type of yeah, thing. Yeah, but I mean, if you, it's it's putting out fires when you should try and get the source of it. Yes, you I know, like, I agree. That kind of thing. And I was, because um, I was an engineer for a while, and that was in a corporate environment. So that, you have the time and resources in a corporation, in yes. In corporate, uh, you have because it's I mean, very rare that you don't have the time. Yeah, I mean, there if you like performance optimization, no, throw money at it and just add more CPUs to the server. Like that's how they do performance optimization, which, in in all honesty, is perfectly fine because if you have the money to do that, it's way easier to do that than spend time refactoring code to try and optimize it that way. My like, number one answer to the question, Frederick, which language should I pick for scalability? And I go, pick one, <laughs> fucking pick one, because that is exactly what it is. Because most companies, they don't use C or C++ or Go or something like that to create super optimized microservices so that they can squeeze every clock cycle out of the CPU. Mm. What they do is that they pick whatever they started with, which was made sense at the time. Usually it's going to be one of the languages that they could find people who actually knew they build a business it becomes successful and then they have so much money that oh we have a performance problem okay let's buy more processors <laughs> <laughs> processors that's what they do and the companies who don't do that such as the very few super high-end top tier companies they usually have a culture or a technical background that is high enough that they can actually invest in these sorts of things mm. and they calculate that I mean if you look at the cloud providers it makes sense that if you're selling cloud solutions that you would try to squeeze every single clock cycle exactly. because, because that's, that's going to be a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of money to be saved there. For a fucking insurance company, who cares? Exactly. <laughs> that, that, that is the perfect way to look at it. If it's not your main business to get maximum CPU cycle, then don't. No, you don't, exactly don't. Push, push, try to optimize for development productivity, for yeah. time to market. Yeah, so that's... That was that was the kind of stuff I learned there, which yeah. uh, I, I find... You don't teach th these things, they don't teach you in school. No, they, you'll never learn this You'll stuff. never learn it in school. Ever. I remember my third year, I did a, a software engineering course. Like, you had to do it as part of the computer science thing. None of the stuff I learned in that course is applicable in the world. <laughs> None of it! Because they, they talked about Agile and how it works. Basically, you chuck the whole fucking thing out the window because it's so fucking stupid. It's. Like, so, I don't know why university... 
because you're supposed to go to university. Because the people who teach are not the people to, who do. No, because they're full, full academics. When I was doing my honors, even the honors for multimedia, like they weren't pushing you to get a job. No, no, no. They wanted you to become a researcher. Like, like it's. A, <laughs> it was. It wasn't even a subtle hint that they had towards it, because you had to do research methodologies, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, but there was no practical stuff. It's actually why I dropped out of honors because I, I like, I couldn't. I needed to make the decision between putting more time into work and because uh, I, I was doing it after hours and putting time into doing for others. And I didn't want to do research. I didn't want to become a researcher. So I figured I'd rather spend academics more time breathing work. other de- de- academics. Yeah, because like, you know education is about more academics. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I dropped out of honors because it was just I didn't see any work in it. Well, and I, I and I agree, and this this is one of those reasons why I st- I can, quite a lot of people ask me about, okay, Frederick, uh, should I go to a university? Should I take a boot camp? Should I be self-taught? And I kind of go, it, what works? What does work for? Because the thing is, I can tell you that yeah, sure, going to a university is probably a good idea. But the problem is that you might go to a really shitty university, and yeah. they might not teach you anything. And then I can tell you, yeah, sure, you can go to a boot camp. But then maybe you go to a boot camp that's like six weeks long, and then you think that you're gonna go and work for Google. <laughs> it's just uh, what. Or then you can be self-taught, and then I can say that's a little bit risky sometimes because it can be hard to figure out like what should you learn. And then all of a sudden, I don't know that you have a friend who's been a senior fucking architect his whole life, and he's willing to just help you. So you get all the, these yeah. tips, and then of course you're gonna learn the right stuff. That's why it's so difficult. The one thing that is really true, I would say, is that some companies have a prejudice against being self-taught or like not having an official education. Some will just say, you know what? We only hire people who have a degree or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and that. Yes, they did that. Yeah, and that was, so I did speak to them about and it. And that is a security policy that they have. Like they just want to screen out the people who think they know programming, right? Or is it no, just- No, it was actually, so the company, uh, uh, so I, well, I was speaking to the, was it Yatish? I can't remember. Uh, one of the C-level guys about it. Because like, I was just like, you know, it doesn't make sense that we do this. Because I know a lot of programmers. So you programmers. were only taking on candidates who had a degree? Yeah, if they didn't have a degree, they wouldn't even bother. You, okay. had, you had to have a degree. Even for the like the, the boot camp, the six-month me- six thing? Yeah, the boot camp is grads. It's okay, a graduate for grads. Okay, cool. It's a grad Because that was the graduate program. So no self-taught people, no boot camp people. Yeah. This was graduate, graduates. Yes. Yeah. Um, and even, even if you had worked in the industry, you needed a degree. Okay. Which was like, and I, I questioned about That's this. That's interesting. The problem was, it wasn't the comp, it wasn't intellect who had dictated this. Yet. Well, they they did, but the reasoning behind it wasn't because they didn't believe that people could do that. A lot of the clients wouldn't accept people without degrees, even if they had years of experience. Without a degree, the clients, yeah. so they could hire people, but they couldn't place them anywhere. So it uh, wouldn't yeah. really work for them. That but then, th- then this is, then it is the reason why I was saying. Yeah. Like, uh, it's just that okay, your company had a different viewpoint, but because of the companies that you're actually hiring people yeah. to, they have this prejudice. It's like they, I don't know. It's a value system that just exists within IT, and maybe it's going to go away. Maybe it's not. But I would, I would imagine it would go away. Because I hope so. There's. Um, because the thing is, like, just because you, uh, just because you have an official education, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a good programmer. No, I know plenty of guys with degrees are shit. I know plenty of shit devs who have a CS degree. All right, let's quit this now. Thank yeah. you so much. We can. Uh, yeah. This was fun. We, we should do it again. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, uh, and here is our PO. Who yeah, can, hi. <laughs> you can hi. say some words if you want. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I'm talking to, but um, yeah. <laughs> You're talking, talking to, to the, the millions of viewers. Oh, is this going to go on your YouTube yes, channel? It yes, it is. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I'm going to have an interview with you too. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, what were you talking about? So.